Hello and welcome everyone to the Hope Story Circle from the Peace Alliance and welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and creating a world that thrives, shifting our understanding toward empathy, compassion, and connection. My name is Terry Mason. I'm on the board of the Peace Alliance, and I'm joined today to facilitate by Liz Gannon Graydon, who is also on our board, and Yelena Bobovich, who is our Teaching Peace in Schools lead. And our special guest today is my co-board chair, Judy Kimmel. And it's so nice to see you, Judy. You have a very special story to tell. We want to come up mute and say hello to folks. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. And um it's, it's uh, interesting because we have so many stories and uh, so it's, it'd be fun to be on this podcast. I think I've been on another one with Joel, but that was a long time ago. So yeah, delighted to be here. Interesting topic today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's lovely to have you, have you join us. Uh-huh. Before we get started with the story, well, let's start with the meditation. Yelena, if you want to bring us in with a practice. Sure, Terry. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time it is where you are and when you're listening to this podcast. Let's start, before we do anything, start by not doing. Um, Let's start by just being. Uh, Arriving in this moment and just letting yourself settle. You might wanna start by even orienting around visually or hearing the sounds in your environment. Just notice, yeah, I am in this moment. I am being right now. Here and now. Just giving yourself a few moments of precious silence. As you invite your whole self to settle, perhaps you can also invite an intention that you want to carry throughout this call, throughout your day.
that matters most. Just notice with awareness how it is to be for a few moments. We can invite moments of pause and being throughout our day. Just like this one. Now, the breath, perhaps with the movement, just welcome yourself and each other this story space. Thank you all for being with me. Thank you, Judy, for being here. You're welcome. Should I just start in, Terry? Okay. Well, <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot in, in, in kind of prepping and mulling through my story, um, kind of the context for it. And uh, what I realize is that I've been thinking about my thrownness. And by thrownness, I mean, um, and this is kind of goes back to a bit to Heidegger and some philosophers and a little bit of new age thinking as well, is that we're born into this planet and where we're born, when we're born, how we're born and who we're born into has a lot to do with who we are and who we develop into. And so today um, with what's going on in politics and, um, and the Supreme Court and women's issues, et cetera. I thought I'd uh, go back and honor, start by honoring my grandmother. So I'll take you back over a hundred years. Um, my grandmother uh, was Canadian and uh, she married my grandfather, Clayton Wells. Um, he was a traditional Yankee. He was born in Connecticut, descendants way back. He was a Yaley. He was wonderful. I loved him dearly. They lived in Saybrook. And uh, he was vice president of Hartford Insurance. And, and um, they had a lovely life. And uh, so interestingly enough, they had three daughters and my mother Jane was the eldest of those three daughters 
And one day when my mother was around, I'm not quite sure, either 12 or 13, my grandmother Bertha came up to her and she said, I'm leaving. She said, I'm going to get a divorce. And in those days, and in that thrownness, that was like unheard of. <laughs> and uh, she was a very gregarious woman, which is one reason I think my grandfather had been attracted to her. She was talented, she was an artist, she was a pianist, she was very vivacious. Um, and I think, and this is just by extrapolation, she wanted a little more out of life. So in those days, divorce was, you know, we hadn't gotten, the women hadn't gotten the vote, women didn't have any rights. And so in order to get divorced, you had to move to Nevada. Nevada was the only state in the country where you could get a divorce. And you had to live there for six months. And then at the end of the six months, you had to go before a judge and appeal your case. So my grandmother said to my mom, my mother was the eldest, I'm taking the youngest, your sister Nancy, and I'm moving to Nevada. And you're gonna stay here with your dad, Clayton, and be with your sister and take care of things because she was the eldest, she was about 13. So off went Bertha to Nevada with Nancy and passed the time and went to the judge and she was allowed to get a divorce. So after the divorce, she moved back east and she moved to New York City because she was a pianist and she wanted to earn her own living. And so she did so. She moved to New York, she lived on 42nd Street and um, she was very um, bohemian <laughs> is the right word, a mixture of, and I remember this, a mixture of Victorian and new age thinking. So for example, in New York, she would go to Riverside Church and hear Emmett Fox and she'd go listen to Edgar Cayce and talk about healing people. And she believed very passionately all my life, she believed uh, that you could heal people with music. So I, I believe the first time she met my husband, Joel, he had a headache and she said, sit down. And she got the piano and she said, I'm gonna play some music and you won't have your headache anymore which actually worked. <laughs> um, anyway, she lived in New York City. She was very bohemian and, you know, and she went to all the new age meetings and also suffragette meetings and all that to get the, the right to vote. She, when she wasn't in New York, she would go um, to Truro where my grandfather and she had a summer home called Bayberry Shingles. And so most of the time she either hung out in New York or hung out in Truro and in Provincetown and in on the Cape. And um, my mother, because she was the eldest and, and actually by that point um, was very, was not having an easy time with her new stepmother, Arlene, who forced her to say, call her mother. And she was a very different type of person. So my mother spent most of her time with her, her birth mother, Bertha, and uh, would go out to the uh, Turo with my grandmother. And I um, mean, it's out there very bohemian. Lots of writers, lots of artists, lots of dancing. Isadora Duncan with dancing with, um, you know, veils and, and maypole poles and all that. And um, she uh, 
my, my grandmother got to be very close friends with Margaret Sanger. And um, what my mother remembers about that, she was younger. She remembers going to her home and going and having to pick dandelion greens or to make dandelion wine for Margaret Sanger's father, because of course that was during prohibition. And uh, so she got to know Margaret Sanger and got very involved in uh, that whole movement for women's rights, for women's contraception and women's right to vote. One of the things that um, I've, I've now learned a lot about Margaret Sanger and continue to, and it's unveiling. She was, for those who don't know, the mother of Planned Parenthood, really. Um, she was one of the first women to actually come out and declare that it was women's right to have and maintain their own bodies and choice. And uh, she was very adamant about providing women with that kind of care. Um, the Com Comstock bill, which, um, actually was in, I think, 1873, was a bill that was passed by the U.S. Congress that said that contraception was obscene and it was illegal. It was still illegal in that time. So she was a real radical along with the suffragettes. And she was, in fact, it, during World War I, um, moved to, had to move to Europe, then moved back. When she moved back, she was arrested and put in jail for her beliefs in contraception along with other things. Uh, she was interesting in that she believed in eugenics. She um, felt that people who had mental challenges shouldn't reproduce. So she's now today in our world, a very controversial figure. But in those days she was leading the banner for contraception. And my grandmother was one of her good friends. So, um, and grew up and went when their first Planned Parenthood clinic, which, which Planned Parenthood actually claimed, but it wasn't called, it was called the Women's Clinic and it was in Brooklyn. And um, actually Teddy Roosevelt uh, was supportive of women's rights. And he um, worked on changing and opening up rules so that women could actually have more rights. And um, their first clinic, uh, women's clinic ever in the United States was opened in Brooklyn in, uh, let me see, 1923. So just after the 19th Amendment, women's right to vote. Um, and that experience, I think, with Margaret Sanger and my grandmother, and then to this day, my experience of my grandmother and her story, she used to come down to Washington, D.C., where we lived, and uh, we would do numerology and we would, she'd read our horoscopes and, uh, and she had crystals hanging around her neck. And she was really interesting and, and such an anomaly in those days in certain, in certain groups and certainly in the thrownness of my heritage of my mother's East Coast kind of wasp background, she was an anomaly for sure. But, and everybody loved Bertha. So that's my story about my grandmother, Bertha. And um, I can say that that thrownness held true with my mother as well. My mother was unusual in the sense that she took a stand for herself and um, ended up getting a master's and a doctorate. She went to New College in, 
in New York City and spent one summer, for example, in Appalachia. They, they called her Nurse Janie because she would go <laughs> walk through Ap the Appalachian Mountains and uh, deliver, take with her a cow or a chicken that she would walk out on these dirt roads and get into these families. And she, the deal was that she would try to barter with them so they would trade their undernourished, mal, uh, you know, now inbred cow for a new cow. And they would trade. She would take the undernourished, malnourished, um, inbred cow and leave the new cow. Or the same thing with the chicken. And the other thing she did was she took betadine, which is why they called her Nurse Janie, because she could, they thought she could heal anything because she had basically iodine and she could clean their wounds and do that kind of thing. So my mother was kind of a crusader as well. And um, don't know so much more about contraception with my mother, except for they used it. I do know that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I'm going to fast forward now to my story, and then I'm going to stop because I don't want to go over in time, and and I'm I think I have a little more time. It's okay, okay. So the how this whole uh, hope story opportunity for me started was the other day we were I think there was Terry and some of us from the Peace Alliance were uh, and I we we were talking about women's rights and the recent thing, and I said, well, I have a story, and so there you go. Now here I am. So this is my story. And my story is that um, in 1966, I was going to a private girls college in Northern Ohio. And, um, and uh, about a year and a half into it, I, I was a sophomore. I'd met Joel at Nemus Barn Grill in Painesville, Ohio. Joel is my current husband and we've been married 53 years. Uh, and we fell in love basically and, and time went on and um, it was also during Vietnam and everything was very, I remember it as being very tumultuous and kind of doing sit-ins in the administrative office and going to Kent State. I mean, it was, and very um, tenuous, um, not knowing what was gonna happen, particularly to Joel, because Joel was one of three boys um, his father had passed on when I had just passed on when I met him. And he, his father had um, a company called Chemstrix. It was metal building supplies. And his dad died. He was the first man to live through a heart transplant at the Cleveland Clinic, a pig valve transplant. So um, one of the boys, the youngest boy had enrolled in, enlisted in the Air Force. So he was already gone. The older brother, Joel's the middle, was going to Johns Hopkins Medical School. And so Joel was left to help his mother and manage the family business. And he got deferred a couple of times. But we didn't know whether we'd be together or not together. We were by that time um, having sex and doing things normal that people in their early 20s and mid 20s, he's a bit older than I do. And I thought I'm gonna be responsible in those days, the only real birth control that uh, was prevalent, prevalent was condoms. And Joel had been using condoms and, and we had been doing all the choices around that. And I thought I'm gonna be responsible. I'm a new age woman, I'm gonna get birth control. So I went to um, our um, 
college OBGYN, which of course they had because it was a women's college. And uh, I, I took my, with my hand because it was, it was, you know, it was still not talked about very much in those days. Uh, contraception and all that. It was starting, we were starting the 60s and sex was starting to be a really cool thing. But, you know, all that was kind of a bit uh, private. But I took my girlfriend and we walked over to the office and I was called in, went into the office and there sat behind a desk, this old white guy. (laughs) It could have been my father. (laughs) And he said, why are you here? And I said, well, I'd like a pelvic. Um, and you know, I was nervous, so I just wanted to get, get it over with kind of, so I, he did the pelvic and then he said, is there anything? And I said, well, at the end, I said, when I could, my legs were down and closed and I could actually talk to him. I said, uh, I'd like to get a prescription for birth control. And he said, oh, tell me about that. And I said, well, I've been dating this man for about a year and a half. And, you know, we, I, I, I just feel like I, this is at this stage, I need to be responsible for my own sexuality. And I'd like to get some birth control pills. And he said, well, tell me about the man. And I said, well, he's, he, um, you know, he's deferred, but I'm, I'm, I think he will be going to Vietnam. He's been drafted and deferred, but he just got a notice. He's probably going to go. And, um, you know, and he said, well, has he finished college? No. And, and he said, well, you shouldn't be having sex with a man that's about to go off to war and to Vietnam. That's, you know, that's, that's a poor choice on your part. And um, no, I, 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 I think you should, you know, stop the relationship. And then, you know, if he comes back, great, you can reconnect. Um, and he said, I'm not gonna give you the prescription. And my jaw dropped, and I—I I think I almost ran out of the, out of the, office and cried and all that. So at this point, I approached Joel because he knew I was going to ask for birth control and all that. And I said, you know, he didn't give me the birth control. He wouldn't give me the pills. He wouldn't give me the prescription. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, Well, listen, you, you know, my mom, Evie. She manages a surgeon's office in Cleveland, and uh, you might see if she can get a prescription from uh, Dr. Taylor, who's the surgeon. And so I said, this is the weirdest thing in life that I'm talking to my boyfriend's mother about getting contraceptive pills. But I said, okay, I'm in, and, and Evie and I ended up being very close friends. So one afternoon in Gates Mills, Ohio, we're out in the backyard shortly thereafter, actually. And I said, Evie, Evie, you know, I really need to ask you a really big favor. And she said, sure, honey, you know, what is it? I said, can you get me some birth control pills? And uh, she said, oh, 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 of course, honey, I'll, I'll get you some birth control pills. And I did end up getting birth control pills. But um, anyway, interesting thing to think about because now I look at my two daughters who have depended on Planned Parenthood since they left home and went to college. And, uh, and thinking that they never thought a thing about birth control, 
They've never had to challenge when they've had relationships with men. They've, it's been easy and unfolding. And the thought that we're going so far backwards is, is actually, I, I, I can't even get my head around it actually. So that is my story, my family story. You, heard, you learned a lot at a lot of levels. <laughs> yes, we did. Well, thank, you. thank you so much, yeah. Judy. Yep. Yeah, I think I think these recent events have brought up a lot of memories for many of us, um, a lot of stories to tell. So Liz, Yelena, who would like to share the inquiry before we go to breakout rooms? Yelena, do you want me to? Yeah. Um, yeah, we were thinking a lot about this story and, and I know so many of us, I was um, taken by how much my grandmother reminded me of Judy's grandmother lived in the village and very modern. Uh, and that, that thing that's handed down. So when it came to thinking about an inquiry, what we would like to offer the group in this moment is, um, I think most of us who, who come to this work through the Peace Alliance feel these shifts, right? For where we're going and our vision for where we want the world to be. And anytime we see this vision that feels backwards, right? So not only the current, not only the current Supreme Court ruling around um, abortion, but also as as Judy said, to think about birth control or rights to marry who you love, um, that brings up a lot of feelings around us. You know, those of us who are moving to the future, if we see this pull backwards, I think that causes a tension in us. So what I'd like to offer as you move into the room is where do you see the hope in that tension? Um, on what level did Judy's story resonate with you personally? And if you'd like to share that with the people in your group as you move into the group. Wonderful. Okay, so for those of you who may not have been joined us previously, we're gonna go into breakout rooms. And in the breakout rooms, our agreements are to speak from your heart, to listen with your heart, to say just enough, so that others have an opportunity to share. If you don't feel compelled to share, to give the gift of listening and to keep confidentiality. When we come back to the big room, we'll ask people to share what's coming up for them at that time. And if you'd like to share your personal story, that's perfectly fine. But otherwise, if you just wanna share the themes that were discussed in your room so that it's not public on the podcast. So I'm gonna pause the recording and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back everyone. It's good to see your faces. Well, I'm, I'm making up that there are some good conversations going on. Who would like to share? I'll share. Okay. Um, uh, Judita and I um, were reflecting a bit on, um, you know, after hearing um, Judith's story, we, we were, um, I was resonating with the, the feeling of like our society is, is moving backwards right now, um, not realizing that Judita is um, in Israel and right now the movement there is, is very forward. Um, you know, so it, it's, it was just sort of an interesting compare and contrast between what we're both feeling 
in in society right now. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. It was. <laughs> yeah, because around the globe, different countries, different societies, different groups are in different different parts of the journey. Absolutely. So, no, it's really true. Yeah, for sure. Who else would like to share? Well, I'll, I'll have to, thank you. I'll have to admit I kind of went on a tirade um, <laughs> about white middle-aged and older men who are actually doing the putting things in reverse. It legislators all over the country who are following the Republican approach to the misogynist approach to women. Keep them barefoot and pregnant. That's that's them. And I find it disgusting. I find it, and also, where, where's the role of the men in all this? You know, it takes two to tango whenever you're making babies. Mm. What are they saying about the responsibilities of the men? What are, what are the legal aspects that the women are having to face? At least getting the message across, okay, guys, you're gonna be responsible for 18 years of childcare. So I hope you're starting to save your money. But but that's never even discussed. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed to be a white white guy. And, and we also know that 95% of these people don't even understand women's reproductive um, systems. So, you know, it's an embarrassment. Um, but otherwise than that, I'm happy up here in Maine. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. It's always comforting for women I can speak for myself to have good allies in men <laughs> like you. In our group, we seem to agree that we're in a teachable moment coming from what's really multiple cascading crises that are global. And I mentioned that I had just seen a Saturday Night Live street interview with people attending a MAGA convention during the Trump campaign, asking them, well, when was America great? And the answers, even though they're very sad, illuminate how uh, we've changed. And, and we've gone even further off into uh, a radical uh, viewpoint, uh, I mean, violent viewpoints. And uh, it's a crisis. It's definitely a crisis, but I think it's an illuminating crisis. That's my personal viewpoint is that the garbage is being spilled out onto the street and now we can see it. It's not just in the can. Yeah. Thank you, David. Yeah, if, you, if we if we ignore things, it doesn't make them not exist, right? Who else would like to share? What bubbled up in the room or what's bubbling up right now?
Anyone? It was interesting for me to be moved from a threesome with two other gentlemen to then another threesome with all women. And uh, uh, we actually talked about similar things as, as um, Jen said, Judita's share of what it's like to be uh, in Israel right now and the, the changes that are happening, even though they may not be exactly what they were in the United States are moving in that direction and how much my, my experience is, and Judita can speak for herself, but kind of lighter and brighter it is. But when you feel like you're going in reverse, it does become, and I'd love to hear anybody else on this call um, that's present share what, where, as you started, Terry, where does the energy come from to get inspired to, to move forward? feeling that you're it's like going up you know paddling upstream <laughs> it's you have to paddle a lot harder uh, and faster to, to get any progress so um so uh, you know i always gain hope from just the beauty of the planet and the fact that uh, i think people basic nature when they're educated and informed is to do good um but I think there's so much ignorance. That's what we have to pierce. We have to pierce the ignorance. People just are, are ignorant. And I say that not in a pejorative way, but in a realization that I think people are not, particularly in our country, have been poorly educated recently and, and, and isolated. And of course, COVID hasn't helped that either. Mm. Yeah. I just finished reading Rebecca Solnit. Uh, her book is Building Paradise in Hell. Oh, interesting. And it's about how people naturally come together for mutual aid in the event of usually natural disasters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, hope in the dark. Um, she's a good writer. And she's asking the question, how do we keep going in between disasters. Right. Mm -hmm. How do we build the beloved community? Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, Dave, because I am, for those of you who don't know, spending a month at my friend's beach house pet sitting. And when I, I brought a bunch of books with me, when I, I ran out the door the last minute, I said I wanted to bring Rebecca Solnit, Hope in the Dark. So that's interesting you brought her up. But I will offer this. This is what gets me up every day in hope. I think when people talk about how bad things are around the globe, for me, things are worse in the way that your room looks worse when you really decide you're gonna clean it. And I think about the fact, I remember one time, you know, a lot of times when we clean up, we shove things under the bed or we put it in drawers or in closets and, and it can look neat. And I remember one time I was cleaning up after Christmas and putting the tree away. And I asked Rob, my kids were little and my niece lived with us. And I asked him to take the kids to the mall because I really wanted to do the cleaning and I wanted the space to myself. So I started putting things away and I said, oh, I really want to clean. And then I started pulling books off the shelves and dusting everything. And there was a pile of books in the middle of the room. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll pull the curtains down and wash the curtains. And they came home early and my niece came in and saw all the books on the floor and things and laundry to be sorted. And she went, Aunt Liz, you said you were cleaning. What happened here? <laughs> and I thought, 
Um, what gives me hope is I think it looks worse because we finally have, a, I look at the fact that we finally have enough people on the planet that we're pulling everything out and looking at it and saying, now we have to deal with it, right? And we can each pick our little, I love what, you know, Donna talked about last time about cleaning the own little corner of a park and how powerful that was. And I thought, you know, if you think of something you feel like cleaning up, you can go online and probably find a couple of hundred thousand people who are working on the same exact thing in this moment. So to mm -hmm. me, that's where I find kind of that hope in the dark. I feel like it, you know, it looks kind of like a mess because we're finally dealing with all the mess that we're pulling out and looking at. But yeah. so that's where I find my hope. Yeah. Can I can I say a few things without the video? Sure. Sure. Sorry, I just can't put on the camera. Um, I think that I really resonate with what um, the person before me said, and um, and I also resonate with um, this confusion that is that is happening after something goes so much backwards. Like you know, it's a surprise, and then there's confusion, and and uh, and I think just um, sitting a little bit with the confusion, mm -hmm. and um, and not immediately moving into action is actually maybe a healthy um, way to work this out. And, um, and uh, just to start to raise some questions um, and um, to, to listen to the undercurrents. Um, and maybe what I have found in my life, um, it, it takes some time, but then you find that there is something, you know, just a very little... Um, notch away you know a, a path and uh, so yeah there's it's like you know you need to do some kind of a um how would i say it it's, it's just a little bit of a turn but um th that path is actually something that is very um uh, rich and that you have not looked at it before so mm. I think that new things can come up. And I think that um, when we allow ourselves just to heal from that confusion and surprise and, and, and disappointment, then um, um, people can come together. And I think women will come together. And as I hear now, also men are there to support it, which is also, I think, a new thing because like in the past, there were mainly women movements and they were made out of women. And I think that I see that also here in Israel a lot with the, what's happening also with them um, um, and in the region as well, uh, a lot with what is happening with um, sexual abuse that mm. men are starting to stand up and say that, you know, they don't want this to happen. And, you know, and that they Good. are, they apologize for, for it being here in the past as something that was normal. Um, so this is interesting, and I think that that might be a new venue already that, you know, that is maybe there happening. But, um, yeah, that's in, in short. Yeah, thank you, Judith. That's, that's very true. I'm going to put a few links in the chat. We're going to come to a close here. Um, this podcast Peace Alliance is brought to you by the peacealliance.org. That's our website, peacealliance.org. 
you can find the podcast therapy song and also a link about our hope story circles if you'd like to share it with your friends and invite people to join us here there's also a link to our blueprint for peace which is a major initiative you can click on that link and send messages to all of your elected officials to let them know that you support policy related to building peace and fostering nonviolence. Also a link about the Department of Peacebuilding Legislation, HR 1111, which is our cornerstone piece of legislation that we advocate for. We are a small nonprofit. We appreciate donations of any size, in particular our monthly donors that give us sustainable income. And also our calendar of events to find out when our hope story circles are and our other things that we have going on peacealliance.org slash calendar. So with that, Liz, do you want to bring us home? Yeah, and mindful of everyone's time, I'm going to be quite quick. I'm taken by Jutita's picture with the smelling the flower. And Yelena always has beautiful flowers over her shoulder. And and two things came up for me. You know, I um, I think Jude, I think it was you, Judy, who said something about education, how we're being educated. And my background is education, and I know Yellen is, is, and there are a lot of us. And I've been more and more um, taken with the idea that we need to educate for the whole brain, right? Need to educate um, for both the left and right hemisphere. And the thing that is occurring to me that we can think about in the next two weeks is to just find a corner somewhere in your world, whether it's in your home or a park, like Jana had said, and just clean something up. You know what I mean? Either pick up a couple of pieces of garbage or just straighten the corner. And the other thing is if you can put something from nature in that corner, I bought six plants after not having plants in my home for a long time, because week after week, I just watched Yelena. And, and so I just surrounded like different corners of my room with something green and they give me hope. Every time I really look and every morning I come out and see a tiny, tiny little green shoot on the plants. And that gives me hope. So, so those are kind of the offerings. If we could just find one corner somewhere around us in the next couple of weeks to just say, I'm going to clean that out. And I'm going to just create something of beauty, even if you have to create it yourself and put it someplace in my home where I'm going to see it every day. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's our offering as we move into hope. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Liz and Judy. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story today. Welcome. Fun to see everybody. Yeah. All right, feel free to come off mute and say goodbye, everyone. Thanks for being yeah. here. Thank Have you, everyone. Have a great day. Have a great Thanks for the idea. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org.